Welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast, helping Western New York entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. If you love Western New York and entrepreneurship, this is the podcast for you. Whether you have been in business for 20 years or 20 minutes, there is something for everyone. David Schaub interviews the top entrepreneurs in Western New York so you can take your next step in your own business. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode. We appreciate you listening as always. Really quick before we dive into today's guest, Emily Martin, I just want to thank you guys for coming to our last event. Thank you for coming to the Backyard Networking event at my house. It was great seeing everybody. It was great seeing everybody in a family-like atmosphere, just some barbecues, some networking, some cornhole, and just uh, just straight-up networking. We appreciate you guys always bringing the energy and, ju- and just uh, being down for all the events that we're doing. I'm going to give you a quick, a real quick sneak peek of our next event here. We're actually going to buy a huge group set of uh, Bill's season tick or Bill's preseason tickets. So we're going to do a tailgating networking event. So look out for that on our social media. If you have not subscribed to our podcast yet, make sure you do so. So you're going to be the first ones to know about this upcoming networking event. So that's going to be in August, obviously, when the preseason goes down. That being said, yeah, so I want to introduce our next guest, Emily Martin, the founder of Ally HR Partners. Uh, thanks for joining us today again. Yeah, thanks, David. Yesterday, or the event was awesome, and I'm looking forward to the Bills event also. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate you coming to our, our last couple of events here, Emily. So for those that don't know you, haven't had a cup of coffee with you, haven't networked you yet with you yet, if you haven't networked with her, I'd totally recommend it. She's a ball of energy. But for those that don't know who you are, what exactly do you do? How did you even get on this journey of HR? Yeah. Why don't you tell our, our listeners here? Yeah. So um, I started my HR career about 11 years ago. And like most people, started in-house. So working for companies in-house um, in the manufacturing industry and then a little time in kind of call center area. And then about two years ago, got into the uh, consulting world and found that to be a lot more enjoyable <laughs> and just uh, a lot more real world impact. And so after doing that for a little bit of time, I decided I wanted to go out and do it on my own and my own style. And um, that's what I do today is help small businesses basically who don't have their own HR expertise um, do it do it better than they could on their own. Yeah. So what is one of the biggest one or two things you've learned since taking on this new adventure? Uh, yeah. So it's been like eight months now or so, which is crazy to think about. Let's see. It's hard. It's hard to uh, be alone. <laughs> so just really the value of having a great network of people around you, great partners that align with your values and that will you know, really send you referrals um, and, and that know you well, right, and can send the right kind of business your way um, and speak well you know, for you before you kind of get into those rooms. I think that's number one thing that I've learned as much as, you know, I'm a solopreneur doing it on my own, you can't do anything alone, right? So even meeting people like you, David, and having me on the the podcast is awesome. And so that would be, I think, you know, I would pick one thing and that would be it. Um, Really just the value of partnerships and the network. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And as you know, very well aware that there's a two degree separation of everybody in in Western New York. (laughs) Yeah, Buffalo, yeah. Everyone seems to know (laughs) when we're connected or they're, they're second cousins, you know, whatever. So that being said, what do you think are, maybe we should set some myths straight to start off the bat. So I'm sure there's some myths that like HR is this, or it's not this, or I think this is what it is. But so what are one or two things that you think there is a misconception on the HR side at all in terms of what you guys do? Yeah. Well, I would say the number one thing is, you know, most businesses or people, and I think this is changing, but in Buffalo, we're always a little bit behind the times, right? So it's been a little slower, but 
I would say that it's not just administrative and there's really a value add to, you know, really having a people strategy and approaching that in the same way you would using any other resource in your business. Um, so for me, that's the number one thing I try to get across to clients. It's not a, just about keeping your business out of trouble. It's not just about processing payroll and making sure like all your taxes are paid and that you're not doing things illegally. There's so much more value that can be added just by really strategically approaching, whether it's hiring, performance management, whatever it is, to be able to use that people resource better. Yeah, yeah. So anything else that you think you should add there at all? Or or should we move on to the next question? Yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much sums it up well in one sentence <laughs> or in one little uh, thought. Yeah. So one of the first questions I asked when we first met is, okay, difference between employees and contractors, right? Because I had my I guess I'll use, I don't I would say the word misconception, but I only know what I know, right? So I'm like, okay, well, why should I have employees versus 1099s? Because I have a lot of 1099 employees and I don't want to deal with the, I guess uh, I'll just use the word HR for, for that. So that being said, when, is, when does someone need to start thinking about employees versus contractors? So I think this is something that's not really well understood, but I think once people dive into it, they find out if once they start needing to hire people that there are a ton of costs that come along with that, right? So you might think you're going to pay someone a certain salary, but you easily just add on 30% to that number, and that's what it's going to cost you to, to have an employee. So the contractor route is a lot better and easier to swallow. <laughs> so the number one thing, though, you know, there are risks to that. So if someone is misclassified, and unfortunately, this is going to become trickier with the new administration and the PRO Act and things out there. If someone's misclassified as a contractor versus really what they should be if you're treating them this way, which is an employee, you might, you know, be on the hook for fines from the IRS if you've been avoiding taxes, you know, and, and not paying them as an employee or, you know, paying unemployment and all those things. But even, you know, the Department of Labor and things could look to come after you as well um, with concerns about whether or not you should be paying them benefits and things like that. So the difference is, you know, really that individual should have their own LLC or something set up and they shouldn't just be working for you. I would say that's probably the number one thing you want to make sure. For, for 1099 you're talking about. Yeah. So okay. if you have a contractor and they're only working for you and you're basically controlling everything they do and how they do it and, you know, paying all their costs to do it, that's probably a sign that they should be an employee, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, is there a process that you think when people need to go from, from, you know, the contractor route to employees, is there like a process they should be aware of? Yeah. The first thing I would say is, you know, if you're going to put them on payroll for the first time, I, I know enough about payroll to be dangerous as an HR person, but I'm not a payroll provider and I don't want to be. <laughs> so I would engage with a payroll provider and some type of payroll con company and stay away from probably the huge guys like the ADP or the paychecks. There's a lot of local service providers that do a lot more handholding and care more about like you said, like helping you know what you don't know. And they'll make sure you get set up with all the right taxes, you know, registering for an unemployment number, workers comp, disability, all of that stuff. So you can't know everything. And I've learned that certainly as a business owner now as well. And so you got to find the right resources and rely on them to be trustable to put you in the right direction. No, that makes complete sense. Uh, that being said, Emily, what are some things entrepreneurs should know or do when they're considering hiring their first employee? Yeah, so I think um, the number one thing I would suggest is just thinking big picture right away. So initially, you may need someone that just does something really small and specific. But my advice would be to think bigger picture strategy because that first hire, hopefully, is just the first of many. And um, you don't want to make a mistake now or pick someone that's too niche or pigeonholed that doesn't fit into the greater structure later. 
And you want to make sure you get that first hire right, because if you don't, that can be extremely disruptive for yourself and just for the business later. So my advice with some startups that I work with and, you know, even smaller businesses that are just starting to scale is to really take a step back and look at their business mission, what their values are. And then once those things are clearly defined, really work to integrate that into your job posting, right, for the person that you're looking for. You want to make sure they can do the job from a skill standpoint, but also like that they match your values and that they're not going to make your life a nightmare and you don't want to see them every day coming in. And then, you know, integrating all of those things into your hiring practices, your selection practices, you know, your policies and procedures that you eventually create for time off or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there's a list of things that we could go through, but just really taking a bigger picture strategy standpoint before you just dive in and and hire someone kind of willy-nilly. So you suggest all this when you hire your first employee. <laughs> is that what kind of what you come in? Because I'm saying you're going, that's a lot of work, right? Yeah, yeah. So I do work with clients on this. It might seem like a lot, but, uh, you know, hopefully that first step you're taking is just the start of, you know, hires they're going to be making even throughout the that, you know, same year. So, yeah, I do recommend doing that in the beginning. And in there's really no bad time to do it. And at the point that you're going to scale is probably the best time and making that first hire is important. So you can do it even before you start considering your first hire, right? And just get that stuff kind of out of the way. And it might evolve over time and you can always revisit it. But um, again, like people are always concerned about, you know, marketing strategy, supply chain strategy, you know, whatever it is, um, other elements of the business. And to think that, we wouldn't want to put as much thought and time into the people strategy part of it is really silly if we think about it because your people are your number one cost ultimately in the end. And why would you not want to make sure that you're setting a strategy and deploying uh, a mission to, to do that well like everything else? So random question, when does the handbook come into play? <laughs> the or handbook, are those obsolete uh, these days? I don't know. I'm, no, I'm no, you have to have a handbook. The handbook is the quintessential, you know, HR item, I would say. <laughs> so, you know, when you have a few employees, you don't need it as much, right? Because you don't have probably, hopefully, as many problems. And so you don't need this, like, this manual or, like, guidebook to refer to to get yourself out of trouble. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I would say a handbook is a hard uh, handbook's the most annoying thing that I deal with, okay. <laughs> to be honest with you. People think it's just an item that you check off the list. They, you know, there's a million people out there peddling handbooks for clients because people think they just need it and it just needs to like make them compliant with New York State and federal law. But your handbook should really be a reflection of that mission and values work that you do and all the policies you create in there for how you deal with employee issues or, you know, your time off practices or whatever should reflect and serve your business and the business mission and the business values. So, again, you know, clients wait till they have 50 employees to do it. And I have clients that do it the moment they're going to hire someone. I think if you know who you are and that's well defined, it's never too early to do that either because you're just setting the roadmap for all the decision making you're going to make later with your staff by doing those policies up front. Do you have like a, a magic number like at all? Like, or is it, is it just too tough for each business? So <laughs> if like, you know, five or yeah. first or when do you, what'd you suggest? There really then? is no magic number. I mean, it also kind of depends on, I would say, maybe the kind of employees that you're hiring. If you're a much more professional like level business and it's not a lot of hourly staff that might not need as much, you know, day-to-day management and have as many issues, then you could probably get away without having one longer. But um, definitely, I would say the 50 mark, you definitely should have a handbook by that point, just because there's different laws that come into effect at that point. Yeah. So if someone is 
going to hire an HR or thinking about it, right? What are, what are, because I when we first met, we were talking about, you know, really what you didn't like about the HR side of things in terms of uh, like maybe the corporate structure at all and how you feel like people are being overcharged and, and whatnot. So I kind of would love, so if I was even hiring an HR company, obviously we can't just say go hire you because that, that's biased. It's not fair. Okay. Yeah. So let's be fair here for a moment. I'll so, work for my, my meal ticket. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what, what are some general questions you think business should be asking when looking for HR, like to find the right one for them or see if they have their best interests in mind or you know, things of that. I would, I would love to know what they should be looking for. Yeah. Well, I would say the number one thing any business could do when they're engaging perhaps this service or any other outsourced service now would be just to ask for, you know, references, right? So talk to existing clients and see what they think. But, you know, my number one point and where I try to differentiate myself is, like you mentioned before, you don't know what you don't know. So, when you go into business, you're doing it because you're really great at something that you know how to do well or you're an expert or you're passionate about it. But as we all know, like there are so many other components to business, right? Um, like I'm not a CPA, I'm not a finance person, and eventually I'll need to outsource that. So HR is the same way. So, you know, I think remembering that and really looking for a service that is going to be a partner for you or an ally, you know, that's why the name ally is, mm. is in my business, because you want someone that's going to proactively help you and really like educate you and empower you on the things that you don't know about because otherwise you're just a sitting duck. And if someone's just waiting for you to call them or ask them questions to then tell you what you don't know, are they really serving you? Are they really providing you value? So that's what what we really tr strive to do or what I really strive to do is with Ally HR partners is, is be more proactive and help people find that value without right away without them even having to ask for it, right? Because again, they don't know what they don't know. And I see it as my job to tell them and educate them on what they don't know. Yeah, because you mentioned that when we originally met is that you just kind of, we're not going to name names of businesses because that's not what we're going to do here. If you're like most people, you probably hear the word life insurance and cringe. Who wants to think about dying? The answer is nobody. However, it's inevitable that it's not a matter of if, but when will it happen? In order to make sure your family, your business, and your assets are protected, you need to make sure you have the best coverage in place. At Stang Insurance Consulting, it's not about just selling you some product. We evaluate your entire situation and get you educated so you know exactly what solution you're receiving. Transparency is one of our strongest attributes as we don't favor any one company and have the entire marketplace of products and solutions at our fingertips. Visit stanginsurance.com to set up a consultation. And remember, we work for you, not the company. But that being said, you just mentioned that you're like, oh, like we're not even being proactive about this. Or what are, what are some things you noticed that were just kind of being dropped? Uh, I guess I say dropped the ball, if you will. Yeah, a lot of HR, you know, outsourced, quote unquote, outsourced HR providers are focused on maybe just compliance. So they'll come along and they'll give you a handbook maybe that checks all the boxes. You're not going to get like sued because everything you have to have is in there, but they're not serving the business, right? So half the time they'll come along and sling you a handbook and then you don't even know, the business doesn't even know what's in that. So maybe they're going about their day-to-day -day doing things that aren't even consistent with what's in writing in that handbook. And that's going to get you in more trouble than if you even didn't have one at all. Um, so, you know, I, that does not make sense to me. And I don't know why anyone would pay for that, quite frankly. But then from there, a lot of the service providers act as almost like a call us if you need us situation, right? So we're not going to check in with you. If you have a problem, let us know and we'll help you out of it. 
But again, that creates a ton of risk later because maybe those businesses don't even know when they should be calling, right? They don't know what the risk areas are when dealing with employees. So then when they call you, it's going to be when it's too late, when they've received like a division of human rights claim or something from the DOL and now they're facing a lawsuit or fines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that being said, what do you think is like, the number one reason people will go to an HR company, like just to start one or to or to switch companies. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll leave that open-ended for you. Yeah, what have you um, seen from your experience? <laughs> I hope the tide is changing. <laughs> people are being more proactive about this and seeing the value in it upfront. But the number one reason people engage with an outsourced HR service is usually to get out of trouble. So they have an employee that's brought maybe a sexual harassment claim or some other type of discrimination claim, and they need help before it turns into some type of lawsuit. Or they've received a notice from the DOL or some other division saying that they've you know, been paying people wrong or something like that and owe a lot of money and need help understanding how to respond and not get in more trouble. So again, unfortunately, HR is one of those, those you know, shared service functions in a business that is typically reactive instead of proactive. And there's, again, a lot of value to be gained from trying to be more strategic and proactive. And that's what I try to do with my clients versus a lot of other providers. Yeah. So sometimes you're like, ah, oh, you're calling me at the wrong time. You should have called me three months earlier, right? Right. That's basically what I'm getting out of that. Yeah. That makes sense. So obviously you've been in a, in a ton of different types of categories of businesses, right? You're not just like, like a real estate you know, a lawyer would just be dealing with real estate agents or real estate people that general. So you deal with a lot of different categories. So I think you'd be a good person to ask this question too, is what are some of the most common or biggest mistakes you see businesses making just from your 30,000 foot view of being in the HR world? Yeah, I would say from a people strategy standpoint, I mean, I do run into a lot of business owners and a lot of them are doing perhaps a lot of things not not the best way, but that's outside <laughs> my purview sometimes. But I would say, you know, really being proactive about this stuff. And I, I think, again, even coming out of COVID, we're entering a time where people are understanding that people are people at work, at home, you know, it, it doesn't matter. They're bringing all of that to every place they go to and needing to remember that. So, you know, whether it's being empathetic about someone someone having a performance dip one month and, and having a conversation with them and talking with them about what's going on and working with them to improve that performance versus just, you know, jumping to conclusions that the person is lazy or just doesn't care anymore and then disciplining them and letting them go right away. So I think, you know, remembering that people are people just like you as the business owner. You, people have bad days. People want to feel like the work they do matters. They want to feel like you care about their career where they're working for you. And if they don't feel that, they're not going to perform and they're not going to be as great of an employee for you. So as a business owner, as a leader in the business, a manager, whatever you are, like it's your responsibility and your accountability really on whether or not your employees are doing for you what you want them to do in in most cases. And you can't just expect people to perform without setting expectations or without letting them know you care about, you know, whether they're performing or um, their career and their success. So again, really high level um, answer there, but I'd say that's the number one trend I see across most of my clients in the number one area that we end up making a lot of progress uh, with their culture and just their employee and in their employees and how they perform for their business. Yeah. So when does that come out? So like when you're just like uh, you, you know, doing an assessment of their business uh, in terms of HR, because I totally agree with you. Most, 
how can we ask our workers to take care of employees if they don't even feel appreciated? How can we appreciate the customer, but I don't even feel appreciated, right? You're trying to, you can't give what you don't have, right? So if you're not excited about doing something, it's really hard to put your heart and effort or let alone go the extra mile to to please someone when you feel like they're not even doing that for you. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. So that's just my curiosity kicking in, (laughs) Uh, Emily. Like, where do you think, when when does that kind of come out? Because I'm thinking, okay, HR, they usually don't talk about culture that much. They just don't want to get sued. So what does that come out? I'm curious since you see it a lot. Yeah, I mean, again, it depends on the business and your and your employee population, but we can talk about something really small and like easy, right? Like attendance. If you're a business, like a restaurant or something, and you have a huge hourly staff, just getting people like to show up every day might be hard. And so many business owners, for example, will complain and say, they'll complain about that kind of thing, right? Like people can't even show up to work on time or at all. And my first question is like, do they like, do they know what the expectation is there? Do you have a defined attendance policy that says like if you have this many occurrences you're going to be let go and then if you do are you even enforcing that because if if you're letting these things occur and no one's getting in trouble and there are no repercussions like how like you're not even clearly communicating expectations so then how can you expect people to you know meet that expectation or care because there are no repercussions right yeah, so, that makes complete sense to me. How that, <laughs> how that actually why that would come up, right? And I got to imagine sometimes you're like in the therapy session of like, okay, well, we, we got to treat people a little better, you know, if we're gonna, they're not just a number or employee number. Exactly. So then you can take that even further to even job performance, right? If someone doesn't know what is is expected of them, how can they perform to it? And if they, again, if they, if you're not having those conversations with them and engaging them and communicating that and coaching them, maybe they don't even think you care. So we're all humans, right? We kind of settle into the path of least resistance. And so if you don't care, I don't really care. And I'm going to try as hard as I need to. And that's it. So I think, you know, it's a pain, though. It's extremely time consuming to be a manager or a leader that's really engaged and have regular meetings with your staff, every single member of your staff. Right. And to do the work that it takes to set the expectation and then manage the employee to it. And frankly, people just don't want to do it. (laughs) But it's worth it in the end. And, you know, the businesses that I think do really well are the ones that are doing that. No, that makes that makes complete sense. So for our listeners out there, where do you feel like something hit you there that Emily just said? Like, so like, is the culture there? Are the were the expectations even set up front? Like, not just like mention it, but actually, it's crystal clear. These are the concrete expectations. Not necessarily you have a handbook, even though that that's really important to have, and it's nice to have things in writing, so it's right there that you have to fall back on. But even if you're not that far yet. When you're hiring somebody or bringing somebody on board, do they have the right expectations? Do they fit the right culture? Is that, again, is that set in stone? Is there something, at least on paper, so they can fall back on so they can see that? Because we've all been there where we hired the wrong person because they don't fit in the right culture there, or they have the wrong expectation of what needs to get done, when it's going to get done, or how is it going to get done? I think that's huge. For our listeners out there, I want to make, like, maybe that's the next step in your business. You can take that. Because that fall, maybe you did do that, but it's fallen to the wayside. Yeah. We totally forgot about it. When was the last time we went over that? Because, and people usually thrive when there's great, as kids, we thrive as great structure, you know, even though we hate rules, but we actually secretly, subconsciously like structure. We all need it. Yeah. As humans, we absolutely do. <laughs> even as adults. Let's think about this for a second. Uh, throw this out, uh, outlandish idea. So when you're on a roller coaster, you test the bar. You don't want it to fail, but why do we test it? Because you want to make sure that when it counts, that thing is going to be there. So same thing here. Like, okay, if I I do this. I know this expectation is going to be, you know, it, it's like it's going to be done. It's going to be held accountable to other people. As long as we test it to see if it's actually for real. Yeah. Subconscious, we don't realize we're doing that. 
Yeah, and I think the word that I love that I, that I use a lot lately, and just as a society, I think we could all be more aware of this word is accountability, though, right? Like we all really are quick to like jump and hold others accountable, but are we holding ourselves accountable in terms of you know? In when I talk about managers or leaders, like your accountability is to hold others accountable, yes, but accountability does not mean using the stick all the time, right? Punishing and discipline, it's setting the expectation and putting in what is required to then get out what you want from your employee to be accountable to your values, to their, you know, job expectations, all of those things. So it, it's a really simple concept, but it is a little complicated. And I think we just take it for granted. Or it's a rarity, you know, all day we can talk about things, but, you know, can, you know, a lot of times, uh, our actions are just speaking louder than our words. Like we say this is important to us, but it's not yeah. really our actions. Our actions speak different, right? So so that being said, uh, this is the last question because we're at 25 minutes. I don't know if you know that. So oh, great. obviously the timer's over here, you're over there. <laughs> but so we have we have the phrase here, people strategy. What is people strategy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ask that plainly. There's a lot of fluffy terms in HR, and like that's a very, I guess could be considered fluffy, but again. When we talk about setting expectations, right, that's really what people strategy is. And if you don't know and have well-defined as a business leader, whether you're the entrepreneur or even a manager of a department, what the expectations are and then how you plan to deploy those to, and communicate them to your staff, again, how, how do you know, where, how do you get where you're going without know, knowing where that is? So for me, people strategy is, first of all, aligning all your people practices with your business mission, right? And your business values, and then coming up with a plan for how you're going to align those practices with the the mission and the values. And that's the strategy. So whether it's whether it's your, you know, attendance policies and other policies in your handbook, or, you know, the way you define and structure your organization and define accountabilities or values, how you're gonna, you know, manage people's performance on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. You know, those are the building blocks of the overall people strategy that then align those practices and people's performance with your mission and your values. Well, now we know. Yeah. People strategy. <laughs> so that being said, Emily, uh, for those that just really, I want to make sure this is always end the podcast the same way is, so people that really just connect with you, uh, or maybe they're like, oh, I never thought about that, or I probably should know more about this, or, oh, I'm linking about moving from the contractor to the employee phase, or, man, I probably should make sure I have the right expectations. What does this even look like? If someone says, you know, wants to get connected or wants to get connected with you, what is the best way for them to do so? Is it an email? Is it, is it a phone number? I mean, we, we have everybody, put, I've had people, there's their, you know, their cell phones out there, whatever you feel comfortable, Emily. I just don't want you to yeah. do something just because I asked. Um, I would say, you know, my website, allyhrpartners.com is a great place. We're always posting free content that's helpful on these subjects, like little tidbits that people can take away, you know, so there's some free help and information there. Um, I'm always doing free webinars and other, you know, free events that get this information out there. But yeah, through the website, my email should be on there. It's emartin at allyhrpartners.com. I have an Instagram for the business uh, on LinkedIn. So I think reaching out any of those ways would be the best. And, you know, there's a phone number on the website as well that people can call or text. Yeah. So she's not hiding. <laughs> no, um, so. I love just having conversations with business owners. And, you know, again, I do a lot of free content, a lot of free advice, um, but it always comes back around and um, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, and speaking of content, content, so Emily's going to be writing a, a blog post for our Westbrook Entrepreneur website that we're going to be putting up here 
uh, you know, relatively soon here. So, and actually, so I'm sure it's like, well, why, why does she get to go on the podcast? Well, she reached out and said, hey, I'd love, she, she, she talked to our post, hey, I'd love to write something. Oh, let's, let's have coffee. Let's talk about this. And here we are. So, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out if you want to, to blog on our on our website. We'll talk about what, what we kind of want and what we don't want and whatnot. And I appreciate you, Emily, even reaching out about that. So we're excited for you to put some great content out there. And we, we're actually, uh, I really appreciate that you're on the podcast here. Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And it's my first podcast, so I feel super legit now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm but glad, I'm glad thanks. we, we burst, the, the, uh, burst the first bubble there on the podcast. But uh, yeah. So anyways, for those, again, uh, that, that haven't yet, if you have not subscribed to our podcast, make sure you guys do so. You just got to click subscribe or leave a, a review. We love reviews. It just shows, uh, uh, you know, proof, social proof there. And if you haven't subscribed to our email list, make sure you do so because people are constantly messaging us saying, hey, uh, can you let us know when the next event is? When's your next event? If you just subscribe to our email, uh, to our email list here, you'll be the first one to be notified of, of everything before they even go live and whatnot. So uh, again, thank you, listeners, as always. I hope this helps you take a next step in your own business. And Emily, again, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much, David. If you loved listening to the Western New York Entrepreneurs Podcast and want more, subscribe to it and head on over to wnyentrepreneur.com for articles, what's coming up next, and to get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.